I, and I'm sure that most of what I am about to expose is known by the majority of yours and eventually best known by you, by, by you, by, but uh, uh, than by uh, myself. So I apologize in advance, but I nevertheless intend to emphasize the great relevance of Aquinas' relational account of creation. Well, spontaneously, creation seems to be something like a productive action or process, the act of causing the universe to exist, or its original bringing into existence. Usually, actions and processes take place in time and make difference to what there is. Therefore, creation seems to operate in time and to be the change that makes the greatest difference ever in so far in creation, everything but God, succeeds to nothing. Even the phrase creation out of nothing, which is an elegant but unfortunate translation due to Hieronymus, is suggesting a transition from non-being to being. Let us term this the transitional account of creation. Creation being the greatest event, event ever. But there is an alternative view along which creation is not a matter of change, but the claim that the universe is not self-existing. Following this line, the crucial issue is not the temporal duration of the universe, but the issue as to whether its existence depends upon God. Because of this relation of ontological dependence, this account deserves the name of relational account of creation. No doubt, Aquinas has played a prominent role in defeating the transitional account and in advocating the relational view. To some extent, the relational view could be related with the debate on the eternity of the world. For actually, the relational account is compatible with the claim that the world is eternal a partir ante, whereas the transitional account seems not to be. I say seem not to be because it seems to me finally quite questionable. But compatibility is not equivalence. The claim that the world is both created and eternal a partir ante, I wouldn't say entail, but at least favors the relational account of creation, but not conversely. And actually, the relational account of creation does not entail the eternity of the world a partir ante. And anyway, it is not the rational possibility of an everlasting past universe which has led Aquinas to abandon the transitional view. And even on a finite temporal duration a partir ante, the transitional account is highly problematic. So we cannot simply oppose the transitional creation of a temporally finite universe versus the relational creation of a temporally meaningless universe. In this talk, I will not enter the controversy on the rationally possible eternity of the world, although it has been entangled with the dismissing of the transitional account. I will just address two issues. First, what is wrong with the good old-fashioned transitional model? And second, why should we prefer the relational account and are we in a position to justify it 
this in, despite uh, the numerous inconveniences that come with this account. So first, what is wrong with the good old-fashioned transitional model? On our common conceptual framework, we, we can easily imagine the popping up into existence of the world analogically with the entirely new appearance of some entity in an already existing spatio-temporal framework. We spontaneously incline to conceive of the creation of the world in terms of a very, very large-scale change of state of affairs. This transitional view is supported by the many mythological narratives which endure the world to explain how it all began. And numerous mythical or religious traditions describe the origin of the universe in terms of something that more or less suddenly happens. It is really an event that takes place one upon a time, once upon a time, or Bereshit Bara Elohim, or something like that. It can be the splitting of a primeval egg, the bursting of a corpse defeated in a fight opposing divinities, the transformation of chaos into order in the Platonic uh, tradition, or even the transition from nothingness to something, the greatest miracle ever. Truly, we do not easily conceive of a non-temporal causality. We need stories to have a picture of what has happened. And in order to account for the, the very existence of the world, we are, we are tempted to say, well, once upon a time there was nothing, and then God bring, brought it about that there was something. Reasons or causes are usually supposed to precede and to precede and to produce effects and consequences in time. Even final causes, in order to become effective, require some agent aiming at some end before acting towards this end. Not every antecedent state of affairs is a cause of any posterior, but the causal factors are to be found in the preceding states of affairs. And this is typically the, 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 the conception of uh, uh, the laws of nature operating through uh, the, the deductive nomologic model, states of affairs and laws entail the event that is to be explained. And the states of affairs are usually uh, termed initial conditions, so preceding ones. So we should conceive of creation in terms of temporal causality, which seems to be the main, if not the sole, kind of causality we are acquainted with. As emphasized by Aquinas, here following Augustine, Humans are used to considering things that are made by some move. Homines consuetisunt considerare huius modifactiones quaesunt per motum. Therefore, it is difficult for them to understand that the causal agent may not precede its effect in time. Ideo non facile capiunt quod causa agens duratione effectum sum non praecedat. Truly, we are inclined to conceive of creation in terms of temporal change. Most of our human creations in aesthetics, in politics, occur in time and make a difference to what there is. But they do not proceed from scratch. And in order to, to assess what can be the, the right picture of creation out of nothing, we have to, to reflect on that. Some recent philosophers uh, I mean uh, Richard Swinburne, in order to raise the prior probability of theism, 
and, and to make theism more acceptable by their, in, in the philosophical debate on the existence of God, they have suggested that the kind of, of operation that we ascribe to God, that is to say, being the, the generating and sustaining cause of the universe, uh, was not at all an obscure concept, and that we could find many analogies with that. According to Swinburne, creating out of nothing is an act perfectly conceivable that can meet even the requirements of verificationist empirist criteria. As Richard Swinburne more or less pleasantly exposes, I quote him, it is logical that I could just able to make appear before me an inkwell or to make a sixth finger grow as I am at present able to move my hand. So, various tests, for example, sealing of the room and keeping its content carefully weighted, could show that the inkwell or the finger were not made of of existing matter. Well, okay, logically it seems clear that the concept of bringing about the existence of some new, entirely new uh, 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 item could be valuable or uh, uh, could have an assessment in terms of a verificationist empiricism. Nevertheless, the tests that uh, Swinburne ideally recommends would be only relevant and feasible in case of a partial creation. For the process of verification here suggested requires a prior framework of physical objects and structures. It requires a neutral observer, a kind of, of sworn bailiff, or other impartial witnesses. It requires a laboratory or a place close to external contributions whose content is likely to be carefully weighed. These requirements are not to be met if it is creation of everything out of nothing which is at stake. Okay. Because you don't have any more possibility to weigh before and after. For at the beginning, there is nothing to weigh. Okay. There is an additional problem for uh, the creation of everything may include, this depends of course on which concept of time you do have, but more or less includes by its very definition the temporal framework itself. If you conceive of time as a relational concept between events and events occurring to substances, being change of state of affairs, well, if there is no world, there is no time. No objects, no substances, no events, no time. And this is not only a reflection due to Aristotle. As already nicely noticed by Plato, time has come into being along with the universe, being generated together. Therefore, the coming into being of the universe cannot be described anymore in terms of a temporal process. Insofar our concept of, times, uh, of time denotes a relation between events, and insofar any event presupposes a spatial temporal framework and entities involved in the event located in this framework, we are not in a position to conceive of the bringing about the, of the universe at a time. Of course, this does not mean at all 
that we cannot conceive of a temporally finite universe. Although sometimes Augustine plays with the fact that if there is no time without world, he says, there has existed no time where there was no world. So it could be said that the world is somehow eternal, but only in this qualified meaning. And of course, you know, uh, Augustine had to, to deal with uh, his uh, more or less uh, old friends from, from the Neoplatonic school, Plotinus and others, where there is a kind of creation, which is not an emanation, as often uh, repeated, but certainly not in time. Well, of course, uh, 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 I come back to, to my paper. Uh, we are not in a position to conceive of the bringing about of, of the universe at a time. But that does not mean that we cannot conceive of a temporally finite universe. But the age of the universe depends on a time scale which is intrinsic to the universe, where periods of time can be measured by inner worldly clocks, that is to say, repeated physical processes that are supposed to be uniformly periodical. One could say that in case of a temporally finite universe, the universe has an age, for it has some measurable duration, but no date of birth. Insofar, there is no time scale outside the world. So, unless we are able to of a time without the world, and it's an attempt made by uh, some physicists like Newton who considered that time in itself could subsist without any, any world. But is it a fiction or not? I don't know. Unless we are able to conceive of a time without world, it seems we cannot conceive of the creation of the world in time. This is, of course, a favorable relational view of creation. To some extent, the consideration that the being of the creature is posterior to its non-existence meets the requirements of our intuition as regards temporally finite beings. My existence is temporally finite. Therefore, I can say, there is a time where I did not exist. But maybe I can say the same thing for the whole of reality. The problem is that I can't make the same inference as regards the world. The world is temporally finite, but in so far time is for us an inner worldly dimension, we cannot say once upon a time there was no world. Nevertheless, this is the claim made by Bonaventura. Following him, creation out of nothing entails finite duration of existence of the world aparte ante, as he, he puts it, Productio ex nihilo, ponit esse, post non esse, ex parte producti. The world, he says, has existence after non-existence. Therefore, it is impossible that it is everlasting. Mundus abet esse, post non esse, ergo esse aeternum. Here is Bonaventura's argument. Everything that receives totally its existence from something else is made by it out of nothing. Omne illud quod totaliter abet esse ab adico, factum est abeo ex nilo. But the world is not materially out of nothing, said 
mundus non ex nihilo materialiter. Therefore, it is, out of nothing, as regards its origin, ergo originaliter, and in some other manuscripts, ergo ordinaliter, that it means an order of time. So clearly, Bonaventura is committed to provide the phrase ex nihilo with a positive meaning. Since it cannot be the meaning of material origin or substratum, for nothing cannot be the stuff things are made of, it will be the meaning of a temporal privation of existence. The world is made out of nothing, means for Bonaventura that it exists after not having been. Bonaventura understands the phrase ex nihilo, or sometimes de nihilo, in terms of temporal order, ordinaritaire, ut demane fit meridis. Like uh, the morning comes out of the night. Okay. Or, or, or the midday out of the morning. Well, just a, a small interruption on Bonaventura. You, you, you could think that uh, I am uh, not very charitable towards Bonaventura, this wonderful thinker. And I'd like to say that in some of the, his works, it seems to me that w when he speaks of nothingness or uh, abere non esse d'esse, to have nothingness by oneself, he's not taking that literally but somehow in a spiritual sense. In a, a famous part, of the fifth part of the Breviloquium, there is a reflection on nature, grace, and, and so on. And at some moment, he writes, creatura desse habet non esse. The creature by itself possesses non-being. But what kind of thing do you possess when you possess non-being? Can you be endowed with non-being? But if you are endowed with non-being, you are not, so you cannot be endowed. In order to be endowed with something, you have at least to be something. Even the, the tiniest uh, uh, particle, okay. And some manuscripts have changed. I say, no, no, it cannot be that. Creatura dece non abet esse. And of course, since no creatures exist by itself, you can say that. And the reason why some manuscripts give this, some seems to me, better lesson or reading is justified in the fact that uh, in the context of the Previloquium, the non-essay does not designate a, state, a, a metaphysical state of affairs, but the, the poorness of the creature which owes everything to the law. Okay. And this is something different. It has almost the same meaning as when Katharina of Siena, in his dialogues with uh, Jesus or with the Father, uh, hears that Jesus says to me, I am who I am, and you are who she is not. But of course, Katharina of, uh, of Siena is someone, and she's listening to the Lord. So she is not absolutely nothing, but in comparison with the Lord, well, she's not, not much. And nevertheless, the Lord is able to give his own life for her sake. 
So that was a, a, something about Bonaventura. I do not mean that we have to read literally what Bonaventura says about, about nothingness. But if we take it literally, the world that would be, would be made out of nothing, meaning that it exists after having been, uh, it exists after nothing, we encounter at least two difficulties, difficulties that, have, uh, that are, of course, uh, uh, hit by, by Aquinas. There is the above-mentioned as preceding any state of affairs, and the issue as to what actually happens to which in creation. As regards the first difficulty, broadly speaking, nothingness cannot be a state of affairs. And it is not to be located in time, even uh, in a time preceding every event. In nothingness, there is neither place nor time for the happening of whatsoever, not even a creation. To this extent, the Epicurean principle, nothing comes out of nothing, remains valid, even in metaphysics. As noticed by Peter von Inwagen, no one is going to show how a state of affairs in which there were no things of any sort, and not even a spatial temporal framework, developed into a state of affairs in which there were things. And as you may know, many attempts in, in contemporary physics are made in order to dismiss the divine creation out of nothing and to say that physicists can conceive of nothingness begetting, begetting or generating by itself a universe. And the argument by Kolak and Martin consists in saying uh, there is a world, there is a universe, because the nothingness is unstable. Well, if you want to speak of a quantic vacuum, which is something very complicated with, okay, but this is physics. But if you, 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 you assume that you are really speaking from nothingness, how can you endow nothingness with such property as instability? there would be almost a, a, a metaphysical and probabilistic argument that could make the job. It is when you say, well, why is there something rather than nothing? Which is the very question of, of creation or not creation. And say, well, a priori, there is only one way of there being nothing and many, many ways of there being something. So you could say, a priori, there must be something. It is very improbable that the, the marble nothingness is picked out of the barrel when you make the probabilities. But even on this account, there is a problem because it's still supposed that those possible worlds mingled with the possibility of nothingness more or less exist as possibilities. And that there is a process of picking out one of those possibilities. So it's more complicated than, than pure nothingness. Well, the second difficulty is consists in ascribing um, to the creatures 
being after non-being. For ascribing non-being to something is like ascribing a property to nothing. What at, some, what at some time did not exist cannot be at this time the subject of any prediction. At the moment it does not exist, there is no it. Of course, we are used to making retrospective statements. I may say that in uh, 1277, I did not exist. But my property of not existing in 20, uh, 1277 is not a property in uh, 1277. It only refers to my existence from uh, 1963 to uh, 2019, and I hope uh, some more years. And it expresses, so to say, the negative fact that I did not exist yet in the 13th century. Similarly, even if one could talk of a time before the world exists, ascribing non-existence to the universe at this time would remain misleading. Therefore, there is no transition from non-existence to existence. Well, contrarily to Bonaventura, Aquinas considers that the phrase factum esse ex nihilo does not imply esse post nihilum, but solely non factum esse ex aliquo. In the treatise De Anitate and in other places, uh, Aquinas equates ex nihilo with non ex aliquo, non out of anything, and makes clear that it phrase ex nihilo as no temporal commitment. As he puts it, creatura facta est ex nihilo, it is facta est post nil, but he adds that the phrase post refers to an order of nature, a priority of nature, a hierarchy of being, if you prefer, and not to an order of duration. In order to say the creature exists after nothing, creaturam esse post nil, it is not necessary to grant that nothing was prior in duration during a prior period, and afterwards it became something. Non erit necessarium, prius durationne, fuerit nil, et posteara, fuerit aliquid. Because this would once more amount to ascribe a duration to nothing, and to make it to be the subject matter of a change into something. And of course, it is very seducing uh, 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 for the imagination. Where was I uh, before uh, I was begotten? Well, I was uh, somewhere in nothingness, and suddenly I, I could appear, thanks to uh, the meeting of my parents and thanks to uh, primary uh, cause, which is Chilisita work. But those are not uh, good ways of describing what there is. Well, this is the meaning of the priority of nature. That which is in each and everything naturally from itself is prior to what, is, what it has only from something else. A creature has not been but by something else, esse autem non avet creatura nisi avalio, left to itself, considered in itself, it is nothing, whence nothing is in it naturally before being. Unde prius naturaliter in sibi quam esse. And here, before clearly means rather than. As Aquinas puts it, its nature is such that it would be nothing if left to itself follows an interesting comparison. Suppose that the air was illumi always illuminated by the sun. We should have to say that the air was made light by the sun. And we should have to say it was made light from non-light or dark. 
Not in such a manner that it ever was before being illuminated, but because if it were left to itself, it would be so. To put it briefly, God is prior to the world only in nature, not in duration, quote by Aquinas. The priority of nature here is a matter of rather and not of after. And in French and in Italian, we have the adverb plutôt, plutôt que, or plutôt stocke, which translates this shift from the temporal meaning earlier to the ontological and relational one, rather. It may be the reason for why our sense of priorities is not a sense of punctuality and timelessness and timeliness. Well, now to the advantages and convenience of the relational account. We should now turn to the view that creation is not a change, not an event, not a transition, but a relation. As Aquinas puts it, in the creature, creation is but some relation to the creature as the principle of its being. And the most famous uh, statement, creation is not a change, but the very relation of dependence, ipsa dependentia, of the creature upon the principle which constitutes it. Aquinas provides an explanation as to whether we have to abandon the traditional view, whereas the making uh, uh, involved in creation is not a change. Uh, clearly, if creation were some change, it would require a substratum, a subject matter that is undergoing change. But in creation, there is no substratum. In creation, through which the whole substance of thing is brought about, we cannot admit that one and the same thing was first in a state and then in another state. Or we can admit that only from the point of view of an understanding. And this is a wonderful point with Aquinas. It takes into account the, the linguistic difficulties to grasp the very difficult concept of creation. But as uh, already uh, warned by the Talmud of Jerusalem, we should never speak of creation at more than two persons. You know, it is a, an advice given by the, the, the... Because we have no true analogy, analogy with that. When we say to create is to make something out of nothing, we seem to imply some kind of move, a transition from nothing to being. We use a modus significantly proper to the world of natural change, but creation is certainly not a natural change. Nevertheless, Aquinas himself is confessing that creation would be easier to grasp in case of a temporally finite universe. We are easily, he says, led from the world to an origin, to an alleging God's creating power if the world has not always existed, than if it has. A beginning could be demonstrated, but the problem is that a beginning could be demonstrated only if uh, uh, we, we could uh, add, we could have uh, some observational or theoretical access to a state of the there is nothing but God. And I fear, even for the most gifted physicists, that we have no observational means or theoretical access to such a set of affairs where God exists alone. God doesn't seem to be an object for physics. Following Aquinas' intuition, many contemporary scholars have emphasized this point, and I quote Certinange, there is no way, he says, to make the world begin at the end of some preceding duration where it did not exist. For this duration did not exist either. You cannot make the world to succeed nothingness. A succession in which 
one of the terms is nothing, is a plain absurdity. Aquinas says, following Boethius, that from non-being to being, there is neither order, nor proportion, nor any relation. Actually, nothingness cannot precede whatsoever, and nothing can succeed nothingness. On the same line of reasoning, James F. Ross denies the false assumption that X creates Y and tells there was a time when I, Y did not exist. It can be the case, but it is not an entailment. The actual world, Ross writes, is made actual not after a state of mere possibility, but instead of being merely possible. And relative to God, it is not true that the cosmos began after not being, but only that it has been instead of not being. And, and it is quite perplexing and sometimes humiliating for some concordist physicists who wanted absolutely to, to, to interpret the Big Bang theory as a statement that shows or even scientifically demonstrates that once upon a time there was nothing at all. But I fear that this statement is out of range of our rational possibilities. It can be revealed, and uh, to some extent, Aquinas believes that it has been revealed. Well, the same point is made by Herbert McCabe, I quote, for the world to be created is for it to exist instead of nothing and not after nothing. But it is not easy to make sense of this second view, for we are used to linking the concept of causal dependence with the concept of temporal succession. We suffer from a lack of analogy. We can just use metaphors, as Aquinas reminds us, Creation cannot be shall, uh, called a change, but by metaphor, insofar we consider that the created has existence after having non-existence. So to say, Bonaventura is more a poet than a philosopher, according to Aquinas. Let's now briefly comment on the famous comparison evoked by suggested by Porphyrus and quoted by Augustine in the De Civitate Dei, in order to reconcile semper fuisse with factum esse, the everlastingness of universe and its createdness, and to oppose its uh, ontological beginning. Uh, I'd rather skip that because uh, it is high time that I come to a conclusion. So, I skip that. Uh, before concluding, to turn to a very impressive interpretation of the relational account, interpretation due to Certilange, who has pushed the relational account of creation into its ultimate consequences. In his comments on the relational account of creation, he is denying every taint of temporal process, and therefore no analogy with the causal relation we are used to. I quote, the act of creating is not one for which we have the least analogy. For us, every act is more or less uneven, which is not the, the case. The effect world does not depend on the creative cause, like the effects that are familiar to us depend on the secondary cause. For the sake of our understanding, we put this upside down world the right way up. The order of notions is God, God's actions, and finally, the being of the world. This is the way we, we, we try to tell the story. There was God, nothing else. Then God said, let uh, there be light. Huh? Uh, 
and, and, and they were died. And this narrative form is due to our way of inhabiting the, inhabiting the world. We need that in order to, to make causal inquiry, because the, risk, the responsible factors always precede the happening. But it might be another story with God. It might be not a story at all. God's action has not to deal with nothingness, as if God and so begets something out of nothing. Such a conception is purely, purely imaginative. Thus, God's action has to join the very being. And then this being must be preceding. Also, as Aquinas puts it, in creation, what is not does not play the role of divine action, but what is created does. In creatione, non ens, non seabet utrecipiens divinam actionem, sed equo creatum. We, we are given to ourselves. Existence in, is not given to something not existent. And uh, well, some church fathers had already got the point. Uh, there is a commentar of the scripture who says, uh, God can say to the light, let uh, be, uh, I create you, because he addresses no one. Okay. This entails that the above considered order, God, God's action, and the being order of the world, is not the true one, according to the ontological state of affairs. It is but a way of conceiving proper to our human production. Certainly, emphasizes how odd is the case. Very strange situation indeed. Now, of course, uh, the situation of creation could be strange. Actually, the world is existing prior to its own creation. And Sertillange justifies this apparently absurd account of creation by saying, in order to be in a relation to God, the creature has first to exist. If this relationship is what we call creation, then creation comes after the creature in the order of existence. And he adds, truly, the world is upside down. C'est le monde renversé, vraiment. There is certainly some exaggeration in saying the creature has first to exist. For there is no talk of time here, and certainly no ontological priority of the creature on the creator. But Sertillian's point is to emphasize strongly the autonomy of the creature, which is given to itself, and not the outcome of transformation of some preceding nothingness. The creature whose existence is epistemically prior to its createdness. When we encounter persons, when we discover objects, we first discover them, and then we can ask the issue as to whether they owe their existence to a creator or not. Of course, the creature never exists by itself. The creature, Sertillian says, is nothing by itself, but not in itself. And that's the point he intended to say, to, to make. I, I, I follow the quote. On the other hand, creation is a pure relationship, and unilateral relationship of dependence as for the actuality of beings. Whatever may be the conceptual correlations that we cannot help supposing, and this establishes the creature in its most existential and functional autonomy. Obviously not, of course, in front of God or against God, but in virtue of God, given that creation, 
as we have defined it, leaves to the created being some kind of priority over its own creation. Here it is some kind of priority and not an absolute ontological priority. But it was an exaggeration due to the Fourier franchise. A nice formula summarizes how the, relation, the relational account warrants the autonomy of the creature. Due to God, everything is as if there were no God. It is the wonderful and the very powerful discretion of the first cause, which is really the primary cause in every event, and nevertheless is not to be uh, seen at first sight. Okay. In uh, some other comments to Aquinas, Certilange had already noticed, it may sound strange that the creature precedes the creation as for being, but this is the case for every relation presupposes its relata. But I have not said that the creature precedes the creation in being, as if it could first exist and then be endowed with the attribute of being created. This would be absurd. It would be too late. If you exist already and then you are endowed of the attribute of being created, you said, too late. I already exist, so please create someone else. I have tried to expose why, following Aquinas, the relational account of creation out of nothing is to be preferred, without implying consideration on the rational possibility of the eternity of the world. Of course, the relational account is more or less intuitive than traditional, and looks more complicated. But actually, creation is not a complicated story, for it is not a story at all. And it is the lesson of, of Aquinas in the 13th century, but also for nowadays. For if it is a timeless lesson, it is still valuable. We make it by displaying desperate attempts to grasp creation in terms of temporal causation. So we are responsible for the complication. We stick to the narrative of fairy tale. Once upon a time, there was nothing, and God touched nothingness with his magic wand, and, and nothingness turned into the world, and it doesn't work. For creation is not a tale either. It is the existence of everything as depending on God's timeless generating and sustaining power. And it is not a trick for metaphysicians. It is the proposal what have you that you have not uh, got? So why do you boast as if you were not given that? Thank you. I'm not the television, I'm not the philosopher, I'm not the physicist. And I'm very often giving popular talks about the origin and evolution of the universe. And uh, the title of my popular talk is Origin and Evolution of the Universe, What Science Can and Cannot Say. And I'm really surprised my audience by saying that, uh, first of all, I should not use the word Big Bang, because it's very misleading, giving the impression of uh, the origin of the universe as a big explosion, which far from what uh, is happening in the early phase of the evolution. And I further surprised my audience by saying that the scientific method cannot investigate the origin of the universe because physics, that were a cannot 
space side and exit the space side, not space and time, without considering the presence of interdimensional. And so that remained outside the realm of uh, the scientific investigation. It has to be investigated by philosophy and theology. And if you go to then it's clear that uh, considering the creation as an event that happened in space and time cannot sustain, uh, cannot be compatible with the physical model. Therefore, I further surprise you by saying that St. Thomas in the 15th century had already this fantastic intuition that creation cannot be conceived as a mutation but just evolution. And since in the audience I normally have many catechists, I tell them that after my talk, if they continue to insist to say that creation was invented, they will be sent to hell. <laughs> <laughs> now, the question is, am I wrong in telling this catechist that they have to be sent to five? or is the right interpretation. Thank you. The related question is, is any, there any particular reason why in your talk you never mentioned the cosmological model just by passing without making reference to the... A cosmological, a cosmological what? The cosmological model, the current cosmological yes, yes, of course, of course. Okay. You heard to have accompanied me Last week in Seoul, where we had a wonderful meeting on uh, uh, Big Bang creation and cosmology. And I consider that we have to disentangle both matters. I would rather follow what uh, James Clark uh, Maxwell said about that. Science is incompetent to reason upon creation of matter out of nothing. And there is the wonderful argument made by Georges Lemaitre, the founder of Big Bang theories, concerning the impossibility of uh, inferring uh, an absolute uh, creation of the world from what physicists call a beginning, which is still and always related to some conception of a, a, a topologic uh, a framework of space-time space in relativity, uh, in general relativity. Well, of course, uh, I didn't mention that because there is another session which is completely dedicated to the coloration. But I'm a great fan of this discussion, and I, I, I'm not sure that I could get your point, but I consider that physics has to do with natural entities, endowed with mass, electric charge, duration, and even if at some level in quantum loop gravity it becomes very complicated, the principle of contradiction may not hold, and there may be no relevance of time or succession. Well, this is physics. Those are physical structures. God not being a physical structure, I do not know how a physicist or an interpret of a cosmological model could say whatever about God. Okay, you can say, well, it's a wonderful image that the observable universe that is given to us gives the impression of something beginning with a very uh, 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 fiat looks, okay? And this was exactly the main, this is a, in, my one, in one of my footnotes, uh, the, 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 the point made by Pius at the beginning of his uh, speech delivered uh, uh, in November uh, 1951. He says, I quote, it seems that the science of today, by going back in one leap 
millions of centuries, has succeeded in being a witness to that primordial fiat lux, when, out of nothing, there burst forth with matter a sea of light and radiation, while the particles of chemical elements split and reunited in millions of galaxies. Well, it seems. But it is metaphorical and poetical. And if you read the whole, this, this uh, is immediately followed by a retractation. It is true that the facts verified up to now are not arguments of absolute proof of creation in time, and so on. The fact pertinent to natural science to which we have referred still wait for photo investigations, confirmation by the, the discovery uh, of the microwave uh, uh, background radiation, okay, but Theories founded upon them have need of new developments and proof in order to offer a secure basis to a line of reasoning which is of itself outside the sphere of natural sciences. And as previously said, uh, uh, um, what concerns creation in time is not, um, uh, can be drawn from metaphysics and revelation. From metaphysics alone for creation and from revelation alone for creation in time. So, this is the official position of the church. We can discuss that, but I, I think there are, there are very good arguments to this position. And there is the very famous uh, conference made by George Lemaitre in 1963, where on both sides, uh, uh, elaborating the, the, the model of uh, 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 Big Bang in rel uh, general relativity and in quantum physics, on the both sides, he gives a powerful argument as to the non-possibility of inferring a, 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 a God or a creation from physics. And unfortunately, this conference was unpublished till 2000, uh, 2007, but now it's available. Okay, you have the reference. Uh, sorry for being so long, but you know, as a Frenchman, I fear the question, so I occupy the field. It might even be a little ecumenical to stand up for one adventure just for a moment. Um, I'm not sure that, that Bonaventure has anything temporal in mind in the post. Uh, and for this reason, he rejects as foolish the question whether or not the world might have been made earlier than it was. Right? So he's, he's perfectly well aware that the, the temporal boundedness of the world does not entail that there was a when before the world. So that he can, on his own terms, mean that, there's a temp that there was a time with a non-existent world. And I think that Thomas does the same thing. We read in the book of David that it's more manifest, simundus non semper way. Right? Well, non semper means it implies there was a time when the world was not. If you say non semper fuet, that means there was a past fuera with non-esset. And so I think that the issue here is, is I don't think that the poor Bonaventure is uniquely tied up with needing to use temporal language that Thomas himself will find he needs to advert to also. So I, I think, I don't, I don't dispute that there, there are these two ways of looking at it, but I wonder if Bonaventure's concern is more on his argument that anything created has to be in some sense bounded and finite. And so anything created must have a first, a first in its existence. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's a prior moment, a prior Newtonian moment when there was nothing. Well, a, a quick response, answer. I think you're right. I've just taken those uh, statements literally without 
reading the context. So I, I, I was not making exegesis. I was just using some maybe imaginary adversary. But the, the statements as such, having existence after non, not existence, raises a problem. Maybe could you tell us why the old man Sertinok was so concerned with the autonomy as a created being? It seems to me that uh, Sertillange has perceived a claim for uh, 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 human dignity. The claim, and that in his dialogue with atheists, he was very sensible to the fact that many atheists uh, would have been believers if the picture there from God was not someone manipulating the, the creatures like puppets. And he, he has a dialogue with Jean-Paul Sartre, who has steadily campaigned against the concept of creation. It is very strange that in the, in, in the middle of the 20th century, at a moment where you consider that after Hume, after Kant, after Hegel, there is no more After phenomenology, which begins by saying that, well, the external world is not a proper object to investigate in, so we have to, to make the epoche, to suspend the uh, outer evidence and concentrate it on the, the life of consciences. After all that, there is one thinker who says, no, the right problem is creation. And uh, the, the, the obsession of Sartre was to see, well, uh, if I can create myself, life is pointless. And to some extent, but to some extent only, it seems to me that Sertillon said, well, it belongs to the dignity of the creature that it has its own being. It enjoys its own life, and it is the very first thing that it, it enjoys, its own life. And, and when I discover my life, there is no written uh, on my, on my, uh, under my, uh, my skin, made in heaven by God. Or you should praise God every, every morning. I am free to, to, to discover that. I think it is both objective and nevertheless that there is an given to the, to, to, to the creature. And it seems to me that Sertillange wanted to emphasize this epistemic distance. But the formula, everything happens due to God, as if there were no God, could be mirrored in, the, uh, in a famous uh, a statement in the uh, Council of uh, 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 Vatican, the Second Council of Vatican, uh, in the Declaration Gaudium et Spes, concerning the autonomy of the creatures. If by autonomy of the creatures, uh, uh, they are, they are, uh, it is to be understood that they are their own laws and so on, well, well and good. But if by autonomy of the creature you think that they are completely ontologically independent, this is misleading because the creature without the creator vanishes. And that's exactly the point made by certain in my view. Thank you very much for the wonderful talk. I just have one question. I hope you know, the question is this, is that, you know, um, you, you spoke about um, the fact that um, in order to talk about the beginning of time, that we have to have a, a concept, we have to have a system, a spatial temporal system in which we, which we talk about that. And, and, uh, and the problem is that, that before the moment of creation there was not that period, you know, within which we can, we can talk about. Now, the 
you know, I, I'll be the first one to say that we can never kind of verify this uh, scientifically or humanly. But it seems to me that uh, if we simply say, okay, well, the only place, the only location in which we can have this sort of grid, this kind of system, you know, temporal, uh, spatial, uh, temporal system, is in fact the one that we know. Um, it seems that we, we can't have the idea of going backwards, that is, you know, beginning at 1963, go to 1277, 10, 9, 8, 7, and then boom, you know, just to the first one. So, so that's, that's a concept that, that we can have. Would you agree with that or not? Uh, not really. I, I'm not sure I get your point, but really, uh, this is a, a reflection inspired by Jérôme Met. He says that there are two kinds of beginnings. And the physical beginning the world is endowed with, according to the standard uh, 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 theory of Big Bang, is a physical beginning with no before. The, 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 the phrase before has no meaning in the... Yeah, I'm, the not, I'm, not okay. I'm just saying that, that you, know, you know, going back, okay, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Your question is, what what we have there is simply the concept of the beginning. So, uh, and, you know, I've been first to two times, in fact, there's not, there's no way of actually when uh, regressive extrapolation gives you at least the concept of a physical beginning, there is a problem because you are not in a position to say whether there was something or not before this point of extrapolation. And due to the fact that in such a circumstance, the phrase before has no physical meaning. So, Either you imagine a time without metric, or you say, we do not know. And we cannot infer non-existence from ignorance. We just do not know. Uh, as many physicists say, well, it's like uh, uh, asking for a, a point which is north of the North Pole. You are the north, there is no more north. And of course, you, you can imagine alternative models. You say, well, but there is the multiverse, there is a quantum loop gravity, and then we are still in physics. But it is, well, it is a difficult point. And uh, Elizabeth Enscombe has written a, a, a paper on beginnings, times, and so on. Well, conceptually, it is hard. But I, I stick to the point that uh, our inferences, our backward inferences, can give us the idea of a physical beginning, but not of an absolute beginning. We do not know. Thank you. Professor.